During Epiphany and Lent this year at Kenilworth Union Church, we're preaching this sermon series called The Unnamed, about all the important characters in the biblical story who don't get a name, including this story from John chapter 9. As you heard last week from Christine's sermon and the story she told, when you read the Gospel of John, they're beautiful stories, but he's a little prolix. He tells long stories. For instance, the story from today is 41 verses long, an entire chapter, 857 words. It would take me four minutes if I read it, so I'm going to dispense with that and just tell you the story in my own words, and then I'll tell you what it means and we'll be done. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 2004, Jamie Foxx won the Academy Award for Best Actor for his role as Ray Charles in the film Ray. Ain't nobody going to take pity on you because you're blind, says Aretha Robinson to her son Ray Charles. Ain't it the truth? Ain't nobody going to take pity on you because you're blind. At the beginning of the film, a bus driver refuses to pick up a black man until Ray tells him he left his eyeballs on Omaha Beach. Ain't nobody going to take pity on you because you're blind. Well, sometimes someone will take pity on the blind. One Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples are making their way through the teeming streets of Jerusalem when a blind beggar thrusts out his tin cup and begs for a quarter so that he can buy a sandwich. Instead, Jesus spits in the mud, takes a lump of clay of mud in his hands, and smears it all over the man's eyes. It's like a healing salve that today would come out of a tube you get at the ophthalmologist's office. You want to gross out a bunch of teenagers? Tell them this story at the confirmation class. But I always tell them that what Jesus does is just like what happens to your mom when she gets a facial. They put mud all over her face and put cucumber slices in her eyes. Anyway, now the beggar is not just blind, he's also filthy. He's got mud all all over his face. Not to worry, Jesus tells him to go wash in a pool called Siloam. And voila, for the first time in his life, He's been born blind. He's never seen a blessed thing. For the first time in his life, he can see his mother's face, a sunset, the splendid guilt of the Jerusalem temple, and the miracle of his own hands. Ain't nothing free in this world but Jesus, says Aretha Robinson to her son Ray Charles. And John tells us this story to show the growing enlightenment of the apparently blind and the growing benightedness of the apparently sighted. There they stand, this blind beggar and the 2020 Pharisees. As their antagonistic interrogation intensifies, his unlettered simple confession amplifies. As they fall further and further into darkness, he walks ever forward into the lux mundi, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Who is this guy, demand the Pharisees of the blind beggar. He says his name is Jesus. Well, that's not very much information. They already knew that, so they try again. Who is this guy? This time the guy says not his name was Jesus, but he is a prophet. But this is not the answer they're looking for either, because Jesus doesn't look like any prophet they've ever known anything about. So they try a third time. This guy healed you on the Sabbath. 
How can somebody who breaks the Sabbath law restore the sight of the blind? And he says this time, I don't know. One thing only I know that once I was blind and now I see. His confession is intensifying and growing. Not just Jesus, not just a prophet, but a miracle man, a wonder worker. Once I was blind and now I see. That's all he says. They're still not happy. They continue to press the point. How did he heal you? And this time the blind beggar gets a little sassy. He says, look, I already told you and you ain't listening to me. Do you too want to be his disciples? (laughs) Methinks the lady doth protest too much, says Gertrude to Hamlet. In other words, I don't know who this guy is, but he's a lot bigger than you bozos. That's not an exact translation, but it will do, which of course makes them just lose their patience. They just snap and they excommunicate him from the synagogue and just then Jesus shows up again. He's been absent for the whole middle part of this story, the whole long middle part of this story. Jesus shows up and this formerly blind beggar lets loose with one of the most extravagant confessions in the entire New Testament. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of Man. That is to say, you are the prototypical human being. You are unfallen humanity. You are what every one of us is intended to be. You come from God. So John is tracing the thickening cataracts of the apparently sighted and the growing enlightenment of the apparently blind, from Jesus to prophet to wonder worker to son of man. Isn't it amazing what the blind can see? Blind poet Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey with such perfect pictorial poetry that Achilles is braver and more handsome and more vivid in the written text than buff Brad Pitt on the silver screen in the movie Troy. The reason the film is inferior to the book is because of Homer's genius. You can't get more photographic than Homer. You can't get more physical than Homer. You can't get more kinetic than Homer. Who couldn't see? Or if Homer's not to your taste, how about Drew Brees? Pity poor Purdue but the Boilermakers have made their contribution to the world of sport. Drew Brees is either first or second in every all-time important quarterback statistic, and where he's not first but second, guess whom he's second to? This happened a long time ago when he was playing for the San Diego Chargers, but every day after practice at dusk when it was getting dark, Drew Brees would coax a fourth-string receiver into staying on the field with him long after all the other teammates have gone into the showers. So it's getting dark, and there stands Drew Brees at the 50-yard line, and he sends this receiver on these pass patterns into the end zone. And Drew Brees stands there on the 50-yard line and throws soft spiral after soft spiral, perfect pass after perfect pass into the hands of this receiver. It's getting dark. But that doesn't matter because, as the receiver will later discover, Drew Brees has thrown every one of those passes with his eyes closed. You ever try to hit a moving target with a football from 50 yards? 
Now try it with your eyes closed. Drew Brees says, you don't have to be able to see to have vision. Yes, there's a big difference between sight and vision. You can see 2010 and not have a clue about what's going on. Michael Hinkson was working on the 78th floor of the World Trade Center, the North Tower, on September 11, 2001, when he was shaken by a deafening explosion. The first plane hit the North Tower between the 93rd and 99th floors of the North Tower, or about 15 floors above Michael's office. Under the impact, the building swayed 12 inches before it righted itself to vertical. Now, like me, Michael always took his dog to work every day. She was sleeping under his desk when the plane hit. Her name was Roselle, and they called her the Thunder Dog because she was terrified of thunder. But it was the only thing Roselle was scared of. Michael always took his dog to work because, like the man in John's story, Michael has been blind from birth. He's never seen a blessed thing. He was born prematurely, and they put too much oxygen into his incubator. And so Roselle led Michael down 78 flights of stairs to the street below. There were 20 steps between each floor of the World Trade Center at that time, and at about a second a step, it took Michael and Roselle a little over 20 minutes to get down to the street. Now, as you might imagine, there was a steady stream of people descending those stairs trying to get out of that building. This is an office building. There are no windows in those stairwells. And someone says, if the building loses power and the lights go out, what are we going to do? And Michael says, don't worry. Roselle will get us out. So when they get to the street, they're walking away from the plaza when the South Tower collapses into a cloud of dust, right? And so they begin running. They're unhurt, but they and everyone around them is covered with this thick coat of dust. You can't see a thing. The very air is opaque with powder. There's a woman standing next to Michael, and she's so terrified she weeps. She says, I can't see a thing. I'm worried I'm going to fall down into one of the subway stairwells. And Michael says, here, take my arm. Roselle will keep us safe. Can you see this tableau? This sighted woman taking the arm of a blind man and his dog. Who's blind and who can see? Is Ray Charles blind? Ray Charles, who sang Georgia on my mind, but then refused to perform it in a segregated theater in Georgia? Is he the blind one, or is it the state authorities who shunned him for 20 years for his audacity? Who can see and who's blind? So, what do you see because of him? Did you once think that you were entitled to the multiple serendipities with which the path of your life is littered? But then your eyes were opened and you've come to see that it's all grace and it's all splendid gift and the only proper response is to fall to your knees to acquire the proper praise. 
Did you once have a world that was so small you were the center of everything and every other sentient being was a satellite orbiting around your existence, but then your eyes were opened and you came to discover, I'm here to live for others. Were you once bored and boring, but now your hours shine and dance? Were you once shuffling along in loneliness and discouragement, stumbling in the darkness of a living death, but now you live, you really live? What do you see because of Him? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.